can I have the assurance of my salvation? Or maybe even putting it slightly differently, I need to have the certainty that I am secure in Christ. That is a great question. And that question is on the minds of multitudes of those who profess faith in Christ. And this, my dear friends, is precisely what the Apostle John desires for his readers in the book of 1 John. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3 through verse 6. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you've been with us for the previous messages in this study of 1 John, you'll remember that I have said to you that one of the reasons that John writes is to actually challenge those who either have been among them or, according to 1 John 2.19, those who have departed from them because these particular persons have made claims, monumental claims, giant claims, important claims. And John writes to his readers, those who remain in this church, possibly the church at Ephesus, maybe other local churches of that time in Asia Minor. I said to you, John was John the Aged by this time. And he writes to both expose bogus Christians, and he writes also to encourage and to assure genuine Christians. And John wants to confront heretics about the truth. And he faithfully proclaims Jesus as Messiah so that there wouldn't be any doubt in the minds of anyone who is really, genuinely a Christian. And, of course, to expose those who are not. Right after this prologue that we looked upon in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, John gets right into things when he talks about God being light, in whom is no darkness at all. And I suppose that one of the reasons he begins to talk with that kind of language is that in Asia Minor, there were a number of false religions, mystery religions, mystery cults, who had spawned the idea all over the Mediterranean world at that time that deities were involved in a way that could be described as light and darkness. 
And of course, these emanations, these lights, these deities would be able to dispel the darkness. The problem, of course, was that inside these mystery religions were deities that were themselves sinful, lustful, inconsistent. They were actually a mixture of darkness and light. And John comes along and he says, I want to proclaim to you the true God, the God who is the God of the Old and New Testaments, the God who is light, in whom is no darkness at all. And that would have been monumentally different than the gods that these pagans had grown up hearing about. And John begins right in the beginning of this first section, just after the prologue, to say to the people, these dear Christians to whom he's writing, I want you to know that there are certain claimants, certain persons who would say that they are true Christians, that they are worshiping the true God, the God who is light in whom is no darkness at all. In fact, John says they make phenomenal claims. Notice a couple of them. He says, for instance, in verse 6 of 1 John 1, If we say we have fellowship with Him, that is, God, who is light and whom is no darkness at all, yet while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John says, there are people around you, people who have even been among us, who would claim that they are in fellowship with this God who is light in whom is no darkness at all. And yet I tell you that while they claim they're walking with God who is light, they themselves in their walking are walking in darkness. And so don't believe them. They're not telling you the truth. They're lying to you. They don't practice the truth because if they did, they would be walking with God In the light, because God is in the light. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Here's another claim. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Maybe this is a claim for some. That, oh, yes, I did have a sinful life before Christ, but now I've attained uh, some secret knowledge, uh, some special revelation, and I don't have a sinful heart anymore. Oh, yes, it was true of me before, but now that I have this knowledge of Christ that I've been given, I don't sin anymore. John says, If, in fact, that's your claim, the truth is not in you. You're deceiving yourself. And verse 9, here's the answer. If we confess our sins, if we acknowledge that we are, in fact, sinners like God says we are, then we'll come closer to the reality, the hope that God, being faithful and just to forgive forgive us our sins, will cleanse us from all sins unrighteousness. And God does that for those who truly acknowledge the reality about themselves. And that is that they were sinners before and even having come to Christ and even even having confessed our sins, 
we acknowledge that we are still sinners, even though we are saved by God's grace. We don't attain to some sinless perfection. We don't claim some kind of secret knowledge for which our sin has been ultimately and forever dealt with as though we don't sin anymore. He even picks up a claim of these heretics in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, maybe even supplying the idea, not only have I attained some kind of sinless perfection, but I don't actually even believe I ever was a sinner. And John says in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Don't try to prove to these who say they've never sinned by saying, no, here's my sin. It's out front. Notice it. Yes, I am a sinner just to prove them wrong. Don't do that. But since we we know that we are sinners, we know we have the answer to that. And according to verse one, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is, according to verse 2, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, you would think that John has exhausted the most incredible claims. Someone who says, I'm walking in the light, even though... They really aren't. They're walking in the darkness. They claim fellowship with the God who is light, but it isn't true. And somebody would make this egregious, overwhelming claim that they've somehow reached some kind of a spiritual nirvana that they don't sin anymore. Or maybe someone who would actually audaciously claim that they've actually never sinned in the first place. You'd think that those being some incredible claims to make that that would be all to the claims that are to be made. But it isn't so. See, that's not the way heresy is. Heresy continues to be spawned. And if you try to answer one claim, they'll move to the other pole and claim something else. And you're running over to try to contend with that heresy, and then they'll go over to the other pole once again. And so you're constantly, as a... Bible man constantly trying to make sure that everybody understands that within the fellowship of the church, heresy is always at the door. Always. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we dealt with the heretics in chapter one and we were through with them? Wouldn't it be nice in the church if you could just proclaim the truth and say, here's the truth, walk in it. And that would be the end of things. Everybody would just say, that's the truth. That's the way we're going to walk. But that's not Satan's ploy. Not by a long shot. Satan insidiously tries to take the truth and bend it so that maybe there's even just one element of it that isn't true that makes it all false. And I want you to see exactly what these heretics continue to do. Look at. Chapter two, verse three. This is this is what John is having to contend with. And what he does is he takes two more ideas, two more claims. And he says, whoever says, and this is the saying of the claimants, the people who are trying in the church or just outside of it to say this is true. 
This is the way things are. This is what life is. This is what truth is. This is what the claims are. And this is what they're saying. And John has to contend with it again. Now, having having set it up like that, John knows that forever you'll be battling those heretics out there. But he also knows there are people within the church who need an assurance, who need a certainty, who need to be encouraged, who need to be exhorted. Because wouldn't you understand it that if you and I were under the kind of constant attack that John expresses in this first letter, that there would be people within the church who would be constantly in need of wondering where they were and if they were following the true group. And that's a real challenge. Because if you had people who continually told you that what you were doing was not practicing the truth, it wasn't the real truth, and if you come over to our place, we've got the secret knowledge that will tell you how things really are in life. We're going to let you in on something. Don't you want to hear it? And that can be sometimes incredibly enticing. And sometimes it can cast doubt. Sometimes you're asking yourself the question, am am I really with the true group? Is this really the way, the truth, and the life? Am I with the genuine or am I actually a part of the false? Who's telling the truth here? What is the truth? Do I have it? Am I lost? Am I not actually certain of my own eternal destiny? I mean, it's one thing for me to assume that I know the truth, but how do I know that I know Christ? You see? How do I really know that I'm secure in Christ? Well, that's what John does. He's going from one group to the other. He's telling one group, you're not in the truth, you're lying, you're not practicing the truth, you're not a part of the true group. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you who are a part of the true, let me tell you who are genuine, who are real, don't believe them. They're not telling you the truth. And don't doubt the security of your own salvation. You can be assured that you know that you know Christ. You can. That's what he set up for us. That's what he's telling us here. And I think to answer the question, how do I know that I know Christ? John gives us in verses 3 to 6 of chapter 2, two ways, two distinct ways of knowing. Notice it. Outline point number one. Whoever says, I know Christ, that's the, that's the idea Whoever says, I know Christ, must know the following. And here's what it is. Here's the first one. Am I keeping Christ's commandments? Am I keeping Christ's commandments? Notice verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know. Guess where I stole my title? I mean, it's actually a great way of stating it. But how do you know that you know? Because there are a lot of people out there saying this is the way. This is how you know. But the question is always and forever present. But how do you know that you know? How can you be sure? So he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If 
I recognize, big if, if we keep his commandments. Notice, who's the we in verse 3? Well, if you study this, the we has to be the genuine. And John is including himself in the we. And he's including all the genuine in the we. That's the we of genuine Christians. Uh, Who are the non-genuine? Who are the fake? Who are the bogus? Well, that's verse 4. Whoever says. You see? That's how you can know. John is addressing the true by including them in the we. And he's addressing the false by including them in the whoever says. And what he says is you can know that you have the assurance of your salvation because you keep The commandments. And I take this, by the way, as Christ's commandments. Could be God the Father's commandments. We don't know exactly what the idea of to know Him, whether it's referring to the Father or whether it's Him referring to Christ. It's either one or the other, and probably we don't have to make a judgment on that. It's God's words, God's commandments, as revealed in Christ as Christ walked on the earth and gave us commandments to follow. So, how do you know that you know Christ? How do you know that you know Christ? Look at your life and ask yourself the question, do I keep the commandments? Well, right right out of the chute, right off the bat, if you're like me, you're going to say this. Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that I can know that I know Christ if I, com- if I keep Christ's commandments. Well, how many in here with a raise of the hand would say, I, I keep all of Christ's commandments? So if you're telling me that I keep all of Christ's commandments, then I can know that I know Christ. Well, John the Apostle or Lance the Preacher, that's not helpful. That's not helpful. Or so it seems, because how many of them do I have to keep? And how well do I have to keep them? And how much of the time must I be keeping them in order to know that I know Christ? You see, that hits me right off the page. How do I know that I know Christ? Well, John says, you know that you know Christ. I know that I have come to know him if I keep his commandments. Well, that puts me under the pile. How many, how much, how long. But remember, what John is doing in this book, which, by the way, is a great book of black and white. You remember when we went through Romans 14 and 15 and we talked a lot about gray? Well, there's no gray in John's first letter. None. You're either in or you're out. You're either a son of God or you're a son of the devil. You're either among those who are in the truth or you're among those who are the liars. For John, it's in or out. It's black and white. It's this or it's that. It's really never anything in the middle. And he does that, I believe, for great effect because the heretics are right at the door. The heretics have even been among them. The heretics, according to 1 John 2.19, went out from us because they were not really of us. So that means they were actually in the fellowship and they were making grandiose claims. And they were saying about themselves that they knew that they knew Christ 
And John says, but one of the ways that you know that you know Christ is that you keep his commandments. And these people weren't keeping Christ's commandments at all. Black and white. He's not saying that you have to keep every commandment of Christ and you have to do so perfectly. And if you don't, you can't have the assurance of your own salvation. That's not what he's saying. In fact, what has he already described in 1 John chapter 1 about the ground or the basis to have any certainty at all about knowing Christ? Well, I just read it to you. The blood of Jesus does what? Cleanses us from all sin. The ground, the basis of any assurance that any Christian has is not keeping the commandments as though if you don't keep them all, if you don't keep them forever, then you're out. Because how many of us would be out if that were the criterion? Every single one of us. So don't be under the pile that you assume that in John's black and white language, if I don't keep the commandments, I can't know that I know him. You can know that you know him. And the basis, the ground of that knowledge is what he says in chapter one. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what John is saying is the basis, the ground of anybody's assurance. It's in the cross. Well, somebody's going to come along and say, well, why doesn't John then just keep repeating the idea? Well, how do I know that I know him? It's Jesus and the cross. Why does he stick in the idea of commandments here? Keeping the commandments. Well, it's not for the ground of our assurance. It's not for the basis of our assurance, but it is for our conscious awareness. That we have that assurance. And what is that conscious awareness? It, it is that I'm a part of the group who wants to keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. You see, I'm a part of the group that would all uniformly say we don't keep them all as we should. We don't keep every one of them like we know we should. And we certainly will never keep them forever in this life as though we've never violated any of them. But here it is true that we're a group who desires to do so. You see, that's the difference. The difference is that we as a group, we as the church, we as the body of Christ in any local expression desire to keep the commandments of Christ. That's the difference. You see, that's the difference between ourselves and the world. That's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And you see John's language? It's black and white, black and white, black and white. In or out, in or out, in or out. It's someone who is making the claim that they actually desire to keep the commandments of Christ. They want to. They have a desire to. And even when I don't always do it in the way that I know I should do it, it doesn't mean I'm out. It's actually a great encouragement that I'm in that I actually want to desire to do them at all. That's what John is saying. He's saying, do you keep the commandments? And you say, I, I do some of the time. And I want to even when I don't. And even like Paul in Romans 7 I, I, I'm grieved when I don't. John says, you've got assurance. 
There's certainty. There's an encouragement. It isn't the ground of it. It isn't the basis of it. That's the cross. But here's your awareness of it. Here's your conscious manifestation of it that you do, in fact, at times, however stumblingly so, however haltingly so, however it falters in your life. And no matter how many times you fall flat on your face, you get up and you say, but I still want to keep the commandments of Christ. That can be very encouraging. I hope it is. I hope it is. Uh, Don't look at these sort of absolute statements as though if you violate one of them, you can have no assurance. That's not his point. In fact, his point is the opposite. Phenomenology is that the phenomena of your life is that while I don't always obey, I want to keep them. That's the difference. I want to keep them. And when I don't keep them, I'm grieved about not keeping them. So to answer the question, how do I know that I know Christ? Am I keeping Christ's commandments? Not all the time and not as I wish, but I desire it. And apparently in this particular context, John was pinpointing some who were not keeping Christ's commandments at all. And he's saying, watch out for them. Watch out for them. In fact, notice this. When he says keeping his word in verse five, keeping Christ's word. Look at your Bibles back at John chapter 14. This is this is John, the author, both of first John and the gospel of John. Telling us what he tells us in John 14 It's really nothing different. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Wouldn't there be someone who would automatically say, like maybe one of his disciples, like maybe Peter, and say, wait a minute, Lord. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, what if I don't keep all of them? Does that mean I don't love you? No, it's a statement that is the phenomenon of your life. I know I don't always do that, but I do love you and I do want to keep your commandments. And when I don't, I'm grieved about it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. You see, he's talking about categories. He's talking about spheres of existence. He's talking about those who are in and those who are out. I think people have misunderstood the import of these words because they want to be able to say, well, what happens if there's a violation of one of those commands? That's not what they're after. That's not what John is driving toward. He's saying that if, in fact, you're a part of the in-group, the Christian group, the Christian crowd, you will be characterized, not perfectly, but the direction of your life will be that I want to obey the commandments of Jesus Christ. And when I don't obey, I'm grieved about it. In fact, I think that's probably behind 
what John means here when he says to know. When he says, by the way, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know. That second know. The tense of that is something like this. To fully know. To be completely persuaded. To, to rest in. To have a complete, full, conscious awareness of knowing Him. That's what it is. It's the idea that I am knowing Christ in an intimate, dynamic relationship with Him. Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Now, if you read 1 John commentaries, and there are 50 or more that you can readily purchase and read, you're going to find out a whole lot of commentators who are all over the map on this stuff. Because this sort of uh, absolute language throws people off kilter. As though you've got somebody who wants to react against a works salvation and who says, well, he can't be saying that you know Christ by keeping the commandments. So we've got to adjust John's language and it can't be anything like that. So this has nothing to do with something like that. And you've got people on the other side, of course, who are saying, yes, in fact, even some Roman Catholic theologians, for instance, who would say part of what it means to actually be grounded, to be assured that you know Christ is your ability to keep the commandments. Now, where would that put you? It put me in the doghouse. It put me out of luck, quote unquote. And. The idea in the middle is very clear. And it's very clear because John is saying, I'm arguing against those out there who make those claims. And I'm telling you, we're the ones on the inside who are saying this. People will manifest their conscious awareness of their assurance of eternal life because they desire to keep Jesus Christ's commandments. That's what he's saying. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you don't love me, you won't care about my commandments. And apparently that's the way the heretics were. They didn't care in their essence about Christ's commandments. And so therefore they didn't follow them. And John could say, here's the line of demarcation. You look at them. They're not following the commands of Christ. Therefore, they don't know Christ. They, they claim they do, but they don't. They claim they have some kind of. Super duper knowledge. They they claim that they're the real people, the real Christians, the one who have the direct pipeline to God. But it isn't true. It's not true about them. In fact, John addresses them directly. Verse four. Here it is. Whoever says. Whoever says. That's that group. And they make the claim. I know him. Whoever says I know him. I know Christ but does not keep his commandments, is what? A liar. First time actually in First John that he says directly about them, they're liars. They're liars. He says in verse 6, if we walk in darkness, we lie. But now he's saying directly about them, they are liars. And the truth is not in them. And what's the difference? 
What's the contrast? Well, yes, it is the we and the anyone says, but the far greater contrast is the ones who keep and the ones who don't. That's the measuring stick. It's not the ground of it. It's not the basis for it, but it does manifest the reality of whether or not somebody can know that they know Christ because they're not a part of the group who doesn't keep Christ's commandments. They're a part of the group who does. And the part of the group who don't, they're marked out. You say, well, what commandments? What commandments might they be doing or not doing? I mean, it would be helpful if John would elucidate for us. And here are the commandments that I'm referring to. Uh, is it the Ten Commandments? Uh, is it all of the Mosaic legislation? Is it uh, the New Covenant community in Christ as they live out the commands of God through Christ? Or is it just maybe a couple of commands? What is he referring to when he talks about commandments here? I think probably what he's referring to is really spelled out for us in the next verse. Look at verse 7 of the next context. Beloved, I'm writing you know new commandment, that's because Jesus has already taught you this, an old commandment that you had from the beginning, that is, from the beginning of not only Jesus' teaching, but your own Christian life. The old commandment is the word that you've heard from the ministry of Jesus. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because I'm now teaching you, and here it is, the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining, whoever says he is in the light, and what? Hates his brother. Is still in the darkness. Oh, now we're getting real specificity here. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Interesting. Maybe what John is referring to is a specific set of commandments about loving your brother. And maybe what John is seeing in this community of claimants, uh, these uh, people who, who say they know Christ, but in their group, they don't love the brethren. They're walking in darkness, and I can tell, John says, because they aren't loving one another. And I can tell that you're a part of the true because in this group, you have great love for one another. Maybe that's what he's after. And maybe he even goes further than that. Maybe he's saying to some of them, and I've just told you you're a liar. And according to John 8, 44, you're of your father, the devil, who is a liar and has been a liar from when? The beginning. You lie about the truth of who Jesus is. You deny his cross. You say he isn't the full God man. You say he isn't 100% God, 100% man. And I'm telling you, that is heresy. And I'm also telling you that even in your own lives, you don't practice the truth. Even in your own lives, you don't live out of love for the brethren. And I can tell on two counts, your doctrine and your life, that you're not a part of the true group. And I can tell you who are. Those who confess that Jesus Christ has fully come in the flesh, who is the God man, who is the incarnate God of eternity past, who came into this life, lived his life perfectly, died on that cross. We affirm that his blood cleanses us from all sin. And we affirm that when we get in a group with everybody who says, that's what I believe, you look around and you find out who to love. Because they're your true brothers 
and sisters in Christ. And for somebody who's in love with himself and with somebody who denies that Jesus has indeed by his blood cleansed me from all sin, guess what? I'm going to be focusing on myself. And when I focus on myself, I'm not going to see the needs of my brothers around me and I'm not going to meet their needs because I'm all about meeting my own needs. And in that reality, I'm not manifesting myself as part of the true group. Now, there's a there's another particular way that you can find out not the ground of your assurance, but the manifestation of it, the conscious awareness, awareness of it. And it's letter B. Am I experiencing God's perfect love? Look at verse five. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, to me, that's another one of these. Because I'm saying, wait a second. Are you telling me that I can be consciously aware of the assurance of my salvation if I see God's love perfected in me? How many of you would say God's love is perfected in you? We're far from it. That's another one of those where you're saying, John, boy, you're so black and white. And you know me, Lance Quinn, I'm not into black and white. I mean, come on, we need a little gray here. I mean, John, the love of God perfected in me, that's a little strong, that's a little absolute. Are you sure? He's not talking about the ground of it, but he is talking about the conscious awareness of the certainty of your salvation. And what he's saying is, is the love of God in you and is it progressively in an ongoing fashion, being perfected, matured in you. It's from that word telos, which means to be brought to completion. And John, this is actually a wonderful encouragement. It's the same kind of thing that he talks in the latter question. And it is this, am I seeing God's love in action in my life? Do I see God's love for me? Do I see my love for God? And if I see love from God, and if I see love for God, I'm in the right group. I'm loving the brethren, and I'm loving God, and God is loving me, and I can see the Holy Spirit who plants the seed in my life of spiritual life, and my life is changing, and I can see those changes, and the things before that I hated, the things before that I had no interest in spiritually, I can see those things ever blossoming in my life, and I can see that Jesus Christ is real to me, precious to me, and when I see Jesus in me, I am so very encouraged. Because what I saw before was nothing but darkness. I was always out for number one. I was always looking out for my own needs. And now that I see the love of God being perfected in my life, I'm saying this is a great awareness, a great consciousness of my own assurance of salvation. And if you're like me before coming to Christ... You didn't see those things. You weren't aware of them. But now that you come to Christ, you're consciously aware that God is working in you, that he loves you. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to us. And the Holy Spirit just lavishes that love in me, on me, through me. 
and I love God and I love Christ and I love the Holy Spirit and I love to minister and I love to serve. I had a recent example of this. We were having a banquet here at the Bible church for another organization, another group. And I was sort of in charge of helping and getting all the chairs set up and having the banquet be ready. And the banquet was about to start at 630 and I thought I had all the ducks in a row and one of the areas that they asked me not to work in is the area of electronics. And they they told me, now we'll have a guy, Don Hearn, who'll be set aside waiting. He's already talked to somebody else in your group and, and they know what to do. And this other person that he's talked to is a church member and you won't have any problems and you know how to work these things and everything will be fine. And we started working on it and all of a sudden... The whole electronic thing in the activity center went down completely at about 10 to 6. And they didn't look at me for the answer. So we got on the phone and we were talking to Don Hearn. It was sort of both getting off work and he was also at home. He was sitting down to a meal that was hot and warm right on his table. And we called and said, Don, we need you. And Don immediately left his house came over here and we all realized that we had turned on that that electronics probably too early and it had gotten too hot and overheated and the amp was not working and it would have to cool down. It was not working at all. And Don stayed here the rest of the evening and we moved all of the operation because we had a lot of audio visual to, to do for this banquet and we brought all of the people in here after the dinner portion, and it worked perfectly. And Don stayed throughout the whole time. He just served. He just gladly served. I felt so badly. I took some of the food, and we sort of smuggled it in here. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> and Don had a meal while he was trying to get everything going. And he worked perfectly, and he never said a word. He was just serving. It's because he loves Christ and he wants to serve because he loves God and he wants to serve and he know that God loves him. and He likes serving with the power that God supplies. You see, it's the idea that even though I don't see it in perfecting ways in the here and now, I know it's happening progressively. And when I know it's happening, I can have a conscious awareness of my own assurance that Christ is in my life, that I'm living for him, that Jesus loves me, that God the Father has poured his love out on me through the Holy Spirit. I know that I know Christ. I know that I know him. Because of what I see that isn't inherent within me, except that the seed of God, the Holy Spirit, plants it within me. You see? It's not the, it's not the ground of my certainty that I'm serving. That's not the ground of it. It's not the basis of it. The basis of it is the cross. But the manifestation of it, my awareness of it. And that's where I think people get off kilter. They, they say, but how can I know that I know Christ? And we're going to ask them the question, what about the cross? See, that's the first place you go. You make a beeline to the cross and you say, do you know Christ? Do you affirm who Christ is? Do you believe and repent in that Christ? He and he alone is your salvation. And if they say yes, yes, then you ask them the question. The awareness of that assurance, the awareness of that certainty comes when you see God working in your life. That's not the ground of it, but it is the manifestation of it. It is the evidence of it. It's vital to see this secondary evidence. 
The primary is the cross. The secondary is the evidence that you see God working in you. And when you see it in space and time, in the here and now, you become so encouraged that you're not doubting that maybe you're not part of the in-group. No, no, I'm a part of the true group. I'm a part of the group that loves Christ. I have a conscious awareness of that. And guess what? There's another one. Look at outline point number two. Whoever says, I abide in Christ, must know the following. Verse six. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Well, there's another one. You mean to tell me that I have to walk just as Christ walked? Well, then I'm out. Because I can't walk like that. It's not the point. The point is that I want to, that I want to follow that I want to obey. That's the point. Apparently these others, they made a claim that they were walking as Christ walked, but it wasn't true. It wasn't true. You know what the idea here is? Follow. Following Christ. Because a lot of people can say, well, what does it mean? I walk the way Christ walked. Well, how did he walk? And I'm to imitate Christ. And look, there's some things that you can't imitate regarding Christ. And that's the cross. Obviously, first and foremost. It's the idea of a disciple following his master. That's the point. Christ walked in his earthly ministry in such a way that you want to follow that way. You want to walk as he walked. You remember the disciples when Jesus called them and said what? Follow me. And it took them the rest of their lives. And it's going to take you and me the rest of our lives to figure out how to follow. Right? How to do it. How to do it in practice. But we have the desire to do it. I mean, you remember in the Gospel, John chapter 8, there were would-be followers. John chapter 6, verse 44, and some of them were following him no more. Those are like these claimants. They're like the ones who say, yeah, I follow Christ. But Christ says, if you're not willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And there were those who knew exactly what that meant. And verse 44 of John 6 says, and there were some of them who weren't willing to follow him anymore. Why? Because you have to die to yourself. You have to die to your desires. You have to say no to sin. You have to walk in holiness. You have to follow Jesus Christ for who he is, Savior and Lord. And there are some people who say, not me. I'm not going to do that. That's going to mess up my lifestyle. That, that's going to, to challenge me. To do something that I don't want to do. I want to be the Lord of my life. I don't want Christ to be the Lord. Well, then you're part of the out group, not the in group. Because if you're part of the in group, guess what? You have no problem with that. You have no problem. You say, whatever the cost. There, there's a pearl hidden in a field, and I want that pearl, and so I'm going to sell everything that I have to, to gain the pearl. It's the pearl of great price. There, there isn't anything worth more than the pearl of great price. So I'm going to sell everything I have and gain the pearl. That's, that's what he's talking about here. Walking as Christ walked means following Christ. It's another way of saying what the Gospels say. Following Christ. The epistles, following Christ as Lord. That's what it is. Now, am I, am I keeping Christ's commandments? Am I seeing the love of God perfected in me, worked in me, progressively so? Am I walking as Christ walked? Let's conclude. If you'll see on the screen, 
some concluding thoughts. Maybe this will be practical for you. Number one, what is your attitude toward Christ's commands? Do you delight in knowing and obeying God's word? Well, ask yourself this. How often do you spend time reading the Bible? Daily? Weekly? Monthly? Seldom? Never? Are you like those in the Apostle John's day who claim to know Christ, but seldom or never delight in knowing and obeying the Word of God? You see, it's all about who you say you are. Whoever says... Versus the we, the we who says, I want to read God's word. I want to obey God's word. Would those around you be somewhat surprised that you actually claim to be a Christian based upon their observance of your life? My wife had a recent conversation with somebody in a workplace environment whose life does not reflect Christ at all. And apparently this person believed, even though there was not some explicit conversation, that she needed to go up to my wife and say, look, now I know I smoke and drink and cuss and all that stuff, but I just want you to know I am a Christian. Well, that might be the kind of person who somebody would say, oh, my, you, you say you're a Christian? Well, interesting. If you have struggled with the assurance of your salvation, could it be that you are not really desirous of keeping God's word? Is that true of you? You trust God's word? That when it says Jesus' death is your only hope for heaven, that you're assured of that because that's the ground of your assurance, your salvation assurance, your salvation itself? Number two, maybe you say, no, no, I'm I'm a genuine Christian. I'm a genuine believer in Christ. And I really do want to dedicate myself to keeping Christ's commands. What do I do? Well, here's what I would suggest. Rehearse the gospel story in your mind over and over and over and over again. What's the gospel? What's the gospel? What's the gospel? And not just Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. Not just repentance and faith. But what are the implications of the gospel? The implications for my life. And based upon what Jesus did on the cross, how could I deny what he's asked of me in my Christian life? He's asked me to live a crucified life. He's asked me to deny myself. Here's practically what you might be able to do. Set aside at least 15 minutes of your day and commit to reading Holy Scripture with a prayer to God for desired obedience to what you read. Ask the Lord To give you an ever-awakening, greater desire to read and study more and more about Christ and His commands. Here's another. Remind yourself daily of the gospel so that it never gets old. So that it never gets old. Choose someone or some ones who could regularly ask you the hard questions about your walk with the Lord. And please don't forget what John wrote in 1 John 5, 3. His commandments are not, what? Burdensome. I mean, you could get under the pile real quickly, keeping all the commands, walking as Christ walked. Well, if you really desire to know Christ and you do know Christ, His commands are not burdensome. The Holy Spirit will take you up 
Number three, if you struggled with the assurance of your salvation, ask yourself these questions. Am I experiencing an increasing, perfecting, maturing reality of God's love in my life? Do I find myself thinking more about God's wondrous, matchless love for me and how I can share that love with others? Or do I spend more of my time focusing on my own love for myself and my own desires? Well, that's a that's a great test. You know what John's really saying by these things in group, out group. Here's a test. Here's a test to know. How do you know that you know Christ? Here's a test. Keeping Christ's commandments, seeing God's perfecting love in my life, walking as Christ walked. That's what I ought to do. John says. Here's some practical tips. Speak to an unbeliever this week about God's magnificent love for sinners. Maybe at the concert today, maybe with someone you brought. Maybe someone at work, school. You realize that the more you witness to others about God's love for sinners, the more exciting God's love will become to you. So true. Here's another. If you're a genuine believer and you're looking for that conscious awareness of the assurance of your salvation, seek to do at least one loving deed every day this week, at least one thing toward another believer, telling them you're doing it out of the overflow of God's love for you. Hey, I'm doing this because I can see God's love being perfected in my life. I just, I just want to show that to you. Number four, and as we close. In seeking to assure yourself of your redemption by Christ. Here's another gauge. Not ground, but gauge. The evaluation of your walk with Christ. I mean, it is a vexing, challenging question. How can I possibly walk in the same way as Christ walked? Well, two examples Scripture gives us. For instance, when you are serving, are you following the example of Jesus toward his disciples? Remember John 13? Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. In your service. You serve, as it were, in the strength and joy of Christ, the God of the universe who washed others' feet. And finally, not just when you're serving, but when you're suffering, are you following in Christ's steps? First Peter chapter 2. To this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he kept or continued Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See your suffering as the suffering of Christ. If that weren't enough, great book by Don Whitney. How can I be sure I'm a Christian? Practical, readable, helpful, profound. You ought to get this book. If you're struggling with the assurance of your salvation, if you still haven't had your answer Today, about how you know that you know Christ, this would help you tremendously. Don Whitney's been in our church many times. How can I be sure I'm a Christian? Be helpful to you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so blessed. We are so blessed because we believe with the conscious awareness of the assurance of our salvation that we are keeping your commandments. 
that we are seeing your love perfected in us. And that we're seeing this abiding, this walking with Christ as he walked, because that's what we ought to do. That's what we want to do. Father, we thank you that the ground of our assurance is not anything other than the cross of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would convict anyone here today who is not seeing themselves as repentant people, believing people in what Christ has done on that cross. And yet, Lord, if we would claim Christ, just like these in John's day who who claimed Christ, but it wasn't true. John was able to say they, they, they aren't manifesting the keeping of Christ's commandments or the perfecting love of God or the walking as Christ walked. And Lord, may it be true of our congregation that we're manifesting this among us so that others would join with us and be encouraged by us. Lord, thank you for today and thank you for this powerful teaching of assurance. Oh, how many of us so need it. Thank you for giving it to us. Bring us back this afternoon for a great concert so that we would continue to lift up Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.